Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. your window may be branching into a multiverse of madness but here everything is low key super as we're talking the low-key finale i cannot contain my giddiness i'm not josh wiggler that's very clear but i'm sitting here or are you josh wiggler and just a variant of josh wiggler exactly you were the variant here's all right folks cards up on the table here i am a multiverse variant of josh wiggler i was the one who prevailed ultimately in the war uh so sorry josh i'm the statue now it's my podcast uh no i'm I'm filling in because josh is uh is, is away at the moment he is uh on vacation and inaccessible he's a uh, much like maybe uh some not in the red room i hope but maybe going a bit undercover in ohio as it were so i'm very happy to be filling in on the second week in a row but of course let me uh refer to the co-host here the person whose voice you just heard but i think officially now we can call you he who remains on everything is super <laughs> considering you have been kevin yes. mahadeo a constant throughout all of this yes i i am he who remains it's me and miss minutes just hanging out <laughs> the many minutes of this podcast <laughs> exactly about yeah miss 90 minutes uh, as it were <laughs> oh my god kevin this is wild i mean surprising is is a, a word i would use to describe so many circumstances I, I did not think i would be back in this podcast for example <laughs> to be talking about this finale i did not think we'd have this type of finale to talk about a week ago we come on here right band bandy about what do, what do, what do we think's the, the man behind the curtain who do we think is in this <laughs> little fun castle at the end of the void who's that gonna be and there were certainly theories thrown about um Maybe one of the reasons Josh Wiggler is not able to show up is maybe he's eating some snake himself uh, <laughs> in reference to the fact that he was incredibly insistent that it would not be Kang the Conqueror. It was. And Kevin, I loved it. I didn't I did not think I would. And I loved it so much. I really enjoyed it. I, I think story wise, I enjoyed it because, well, it's it's so weird and it's difficult because I, I think I enjoyed it because the clues were there, you know, for, for people who were like looking for them. Certainly they were leading to it. So it's the payoff that I feel like the other series sometimes didn't really do as well, uh, at least for the fans. I think I'm really curious about like non-fans. Like what were their th- thoughts on, on this happening, right? But I don't know. I was okay with it. I was okay with like Kang showing up here because I do think Kang is going to be a bigger presence in the greater MCU and this is his first appearance or at least an appearance. I think the Kang <laughs> we're going to have is very different from the one that 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 we saw here. Um, hmm. so I, I think it's okay. And I like it because it is very Marvel universe that I want, right? Like pieces that are going to be set up that I actually, I feel like are going to play out into the movies. At least I think they are, um, which is, which is really awesome and really great. So I really love that stuff. I really love the, the, the fact that they did this reveal that they went for it. I thought Jonathan majors was great, especially mm-hmm. because like seeing his range, like if you come off of Lovecraft country to this, it's such a different, like 
style of acting and character he's playing so that's really awesome like I was apples surprised. and oranges that he's chomping on the whole time right uh i was surprised because kang acted so weird at first and then like once they started explaining i'm like oh i see what they're doing here so i i liked a lot of that stuff i thought it was really great um then you know overall i i think the it's it'll be an interesting discussion about my thoughts overall on the series mm. um because that'll be that'll be a fun topic um I, I i like it uh i certainly will have like you know other thoughts but the kang stuff was really great like he was so yeah. weird he was so weird which is so marvel like it's so marvel to do something like that like when they did ultron and you think it's like gonna be scary <laughs> and then it's just like weirdo james spader and i think you get like weirdo jonathan majors here but i think that's going to change, right? Like, I think that's that's not what we're going to get in the future or the past or the present. Time is weird. But, uh, yeah, I'm pumped for all of it. Yeah, as long as we don't have Jonathan Major singing any Disney songs, we're steering away from Ultron. So, yeah, obviously a lot to get into. Uh, you know, we're going to focus, I think, a lot on that King reveal. But we have an entire finale of Loki to get through, as well as the reveal in that post-credits, I don't even call it scene, more of a gif of uh, the confirmation of a season two of Loki. The speculation is out there. Also in this podcast, we're going to get into a little bit little bit of your feedback, I think, to uh, give a nice spoiler cushion before we get into our thoughts on Black Widow. I know Kevin and I have both seen it. This, is, of course, is going to lead into a larger discussion next week, uh, which is going to be the wrap-up feedback show for both projects. I know Josh is going to be coming back there. Going to get into some of more, your thoughts out there as listeners. Certainly get into the uh, Infinity Stone ratings, as it were. So be sure to get those in as well, uh, especially maybe after you hear this conversation and, and you want to hear more. Uh, it makes you think more about the movie Black Widow. Uh, there's certainly room for discourse that's coming out next week. Certainly a lot to cover here. But first, Kevin, let me stop down. I'm not going to monologue for like 15 minutes like uh, like <laughs> Kang does here. But let me just take a brief second to talk to you about the sponsors of this week's episode of Everything is Super. And those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. So to go back to your point, Kevin, uh, it's a good question as to this is a brand new character for people who do not know comics lore. Uh, and even the way that they introduce him is not necessarily the way that we were going to be introduced to him, right? Again, we thought Jonathan Major specifically was going to be King the Conqueror. I think the assumption is that this is an iteration. It's a version, a variant of King the Conqueror, as it were. Whether or not we should call him King or he who, he who remains, remains to be seen. But I think mm -hmm. it's safe to say that the Kang we're getting in Ant-Man Quantumania is going to be another Kang. Who knows, maybe maybe the, the big bad, and this is what makes me, I think, most excited. Uh, the big bad, I think, of Phase 4 slash 5 is looking to be not Kang, but Kang-Z. Uh, which I am very excited about because I think when this idea of Kang was introduced, I was intrigued by it because I knew the background of the character, but I was really thinking, like, how do you one-up Thanos? You know, the character who gets set up in what, like, the sixth or seventh MCU movie takes a hell of a long time to get somewhere, but when he finally does, he, you know, uh, he eradicates half of the galaxy. How do you exactly go somewhere from there? Well, I know it's the larger MCU question, 
And it's one of these things that makes me like slap my forehead like I could have had a V8. Uh, and, and just like, why didn't I think of that sooner? Of course, how you outdo someone like Thanos is that you bring in multiversal delinquents and super smart, super dangerous multiversal delinquents at that. I think it's an incredibly fun idea. It's an incredibly creative idea as well. Now you can bring Jonathan Majors and various versions of him into all these different projects if you'd like to as well. While also building up this big threat is like, you know, the, we could overwhelm maybe one Kang, but when there's multiple Kangs coming from all different directions, we don't exactly know what to do. It really, I think in general, Kevin, just set up so much excitement for me of what this character is going to bring to the MCU at large, just through showing up in one episode of a streaming television series. And and that feels just, I don't know, I, I did not think that would be possible. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about it, like not even the threat of Thanos as a character, right? Thanos was, was a threat to the universe. So naturally, the next biggest threat has to be a threat to the multiverse. So that that tracks into what they're doing. And I think there is a lot of really fun and interesting stuff to be coming out of this. I mean, for me, obviously, as a fan of the multiverse as a whole, the birth of the multiverse as we saw it was probably the most exciting part. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, the next show coming up here is confirmed to be what if. And so, like, now we see, oh, this is how that's happening. And, like, yes. the, the feeling of it coming, I think, from just the credits, like, where I was like, oh, something's different here because you hear the vo you hear all the like sound clips rather than the usual marvel music playing you know as they're going through essentially the universe in existence and not and then the end of time and then like that was such a weird trippy opening sequence very uh 2001 space odyssey almost uh as as loki and sylvie traveled there um so there's like the streaks of light flying past us basically yeah, and you know, there's a lot there I love. There's a lot I'm anticipating. There's a lot I'm excited about. And I will say, like you know, on the flip side of it, I do wish like this is what I mean. I I think the series was enjoyable, but I wish that this was like episode two or three uh, of this series, and the series is now going to be the fallout of a lot of this stuff. Instead, it felt very much like this series is a setup to a second season, and that happens a lot in superhero movies, right? Like you're gonna get the mm-hmm. origin story of Bullseye, and then you'll get Bullseye eventually. And it's like, can I just get Bullseye this season? Um, so like th- that feels very comic booky with the setup of what you, you was gonna be really cool to be coming. Uh, so that part, I, I think I'm, I'm I'm a little less thrilled about that 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 they did. But the other stuff is really interesting. It's a weird episode, though. It's a it's a super weird yeah. episode because it's so exposition heavy. As we have uh, Kang show up and like have the have to give his backstory about like what he's doing here, what's going on, why Sylvie and Loki are here. Uh, you know, you have Miss Minutes. When Miss Minutes showed up, I lost my mind. I was just like, "Yes, Miss Minutes is a bad guy. That's amazing." <laughs> Obviously, I didn't think she was like the bad guy, but having her there as a presence of the bad guy made me very excited. Yeah, she I she, she speaks great. to a higher power. Like we yes. know, her true boss is not Ravana Renslayer. Like she is now the go between with Kang and all the TVA minions, as it were. Yeah, and like that part of the story, I do think where the Kang stuff was really cool. The coming together of the plot lines there was really cool. I do think some of the TVA stuff, I I, I personally feel like it fell a little short um, and they weren't putting a, a, enough effort there, probably because it was all going to change anyway. But that sort of felt very like yada yada for a lot of yeah. uh, what was going on on that end. No, I agree. I think that these last two episodes were my favorite of the series and i would say maybe some of my favorite mcu disney plus content since that first batch of episodes of wandavision what i loved about this episode 
was actually, like you said, Kevin, like how exposition heavy it was, how different it was for a finale. I do agree that I think there were certain elements to it that almost made it feel like this and season two are like two half seasons. You know how AMC likes to do that sometimes. Of like, yeah, we'll air six episodes. And there yeah, were Netflix parts as of well, it, batch one versus batch two. Yeah, whatever. There, there, there are certainly parts of this that felt like a mid-season finale, particularly everything going on with the TVA. We'll, I guess we'll touch upon the Mobius and, and Ravana stuff later on because there really isn't that much to it in this particular episode uh, that's going to be expounded upon later on. But I was so happy to not see a final battle. Uh, you know, uh, we get like, didn't we I mean, though? <laughs> we, a little bit, but like, that wasn't the big crux of it though. Like, WandaVision, half the episode was a final yeah. battle. Of course, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we said was more appropriate for that setting, but it still was like a large set piece. The large set piece to me of this finale was not that knife battle between Loki and Sylvie. It was everything else to do with Kang. And I really enjoyed that because again, one of the things I was really excited about this series was how unconventional it was going to be. And it hooked me right from the beginning with like the Terry Gilliam Brazil aesthetic to it. And it hooked me on the end with that as well. Like you talked about this at the very beginning that like something that I really enjoyed about the show is that it's one of these things that can only exist in comics. And that's what makes the MCU so fun is that like, wow, these wild ideas are literally coming to life from the page. Things I never would have thought happened before. And between the void last episode and now the citadel at the end of time complete with kang it's just all these really fun ideas that i know the mcu tries to stay semi-grounded and you know we just talked about this with falcon and the winter soldier relatively speaking but i say go kooky you know go off the wall sometimes and i specifically liked how this show ended off the wall uh by essentially breaking the fourth wall and like you said causing that multiverse of madness to happen well, and even just break the fourth wall there, you literally had Jonathan Majors Kang say you can't get to the end without being changed by the journey. That is that is <laughs> storytelling 101. So uh, I like that. I, I, I laughed a lot of that call out. Um, yeah, there was. A, you're right. The fight wasn't the crux, but it was the action piece. I really would have, again, preferred not a full out fight or if they were going to do a full out fight. Just why did he only use his teleport power once and mm-hmm. only to use it in a way that's that was just to not be tricky? It just felt very, again, like the fighting in this and, and the Loki power usage is just not in line with like how that should be. Um, and it felt very much just like we need to have action because it's a Marvel show. Uh, but I like that it came down to a choice and it came down to like this decision between Sylvie and Loki and like who is right and who is wrong is very debatable. You know, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I like that Loki's choice is just like I'm picking what I think is essentially the the, the better way out here. If there's a bigger threat, like we shouldn't uh, face that. Like you know, we should keep. We, it, it is the ultimate. Like, did Loki really change? And like, people can be like, right. yes or no. And I guess that's the point of what has happened, I suppose. Um, but the idea of like we need to keep people, uh, like, not give people free will because it's better for them. That's what Loki in Avengers, his whole thing was, right? That's what he was saying mm-hmm. at the beginning. That was the decision he made at the end. He kind of made the same decision that he was just like, it's better if people don't have free will because there's a, worse things out there. So we're saving them by, you know, essentially enslaving their minds. Uh, so that's <laughs> fascinating and interesting. Sylvie, of course, is supposed to be, I think, the reflection of the hero character. The hero character usually won't compromise something like that. They will do the quote unquote right thing uh, and then worry about the bigger threat later. However, Sylvie, I don't think, is a full-out hero. I mean, she's probably the closest to, like, maybe anti-hero you're going to get here. 
because she's yeah. not driven by doing the right thing. She's driven by revenge. I mean, the, the, the quest for vengeance, I think, is her main drive, her main purpose. And that leads to, you know, what happens with the multiverse at the end. I think that's why she collapses at the end, because she's just like, it's a quote that the, the Joker from the Dark Knight. I'm like a dog chasing my own tail. I don't know what to do when I caught it. Yeah. She accomplished her goal. What does she do now? Um, so I think those are all really cool, really interesting, really fascinating stuff uh, that I I really wish we got to see the fallout from. But we won't for possibly a year. If this is a batch two, I hope that Loki season two is coming a lot quicker than it is, you know, uh, a year from now. But it doesn't seem like that might be the case. But uh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it really is. I, I think you make a fantastic point about how, from this perspective, specific end goal, this was like Sylvie's hero's journey, which is weird because the show is called Loki. You would think, okay, this is where Loki has his big hero thing, but then they completely subvert it, right? By having Sylvie be the one to push him through the time door. Uh, you know, Sylvie is after that kiss that you might take or leave. Uh, she's the one that says, uh, I, <laughs> I, she says, I'm not Don't you. Uh, which, of course, you know, quotes back to, like, the, one of the very first exchanges they have, pushes them through the door and decides to go through with it. And like you said, it's a thing that causes absolute catastrophe, but it is sort of like the end of her own journey. She has this really interesting trepidation when they reach the gates of that castle in the very first scene, right? Where she's like, this is something I've been waiting to do my entire life. We forget, since she's a new character, that this is ever since she got plucked out of the timeline for, I guess, playing on the wrong Playmobil playset in Asgard, uh, she has been essentially searching for these timekeepers to release the shackles of her own fate. And now she's like, listen, I have the bolt cutters in my hand right now. You better believe I'm going to cut these chains, no matter what you want me to do, no matter what repercussions it may have. And I think it's an absolutely fascinating choice. I want to talk about the Kang side of things, though, yes. because this factors into, I completely agree, I think, Jonathan Majors made a seven-course meal out of the, like, asteroid set around him. He did everything from, like, the faux British accent he was putting on to just, like, the giddy laughing, sort of almost sometimes verging for me on, like, Schumacher levels of Batman villains, but then he'd pull it back and, like, come at you with, like, a sobering punch as to everything that was going on. And uh, it was so interesting to even notice, like, the nuances in this guy's performance, it's an odd phenomenon because we don't know how many facets of this character are going to carry over into the other versions that we see of him. Uh, you know, is this going to become like a Harrison Wells thing, a la The Flash, where we have <laughs> like Cowboy Keg, uh, you know, and, and Hipster Keg? We shall see. But it's so interesting when he comes in from the perspective of like, I am so tired. I have been sitting here forever and ever knowing what is going to happen. I need to move on. I, I need to pass this down. Oh, look, here's something fun that's happening, something I never predicted before, and I'm dead. That's fine. I've done my thing, and look, you have to clean up the mess. Again, for introducing this character, I thought the perspective that, that he brought to it, and also, perhaps, the question of, was this, was he tricking the tricksters, in a way? Was, was he, perhaps, trying to sort of bait them into either taking the position almost like uh, a la Atlas, you know, taking the globe off of his shoulders so he could go do other things or possibly wanting to die to cause the multiverse to explode. I think he wanted both. I think that's was the, that was his choice, right? He's I, I love that scene when he just talked about like, you know, like this is this is a young man's game. And I, I really love characters like that. Like Vandal Savage is a good example of it. Mm -hmm. Characters who have just lived so long and are so tired at a certain point. And they're just like, I would love to stop doing this. 
and giving them a choice to be like, look, you can either kill me, and at this point, great, and then I don't have to worry about it, or you take over and you continue this, like, one or the other, you know, like Dread Pirate Robert style. I'll pass <laughs> it on to you, and then one day you will pass it on to someone else, and so forth and so on. Um, and so Loki says, like as aspect. you wish, sure, I'll take it on. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting, too, because, like, I don't know how much will carry over. I also really love that line, the see you soon, right before he dies. Um, yeah. Because it, it is, we talked about, like, the, the the was it, is it the showrunner who, who was from Rick and Morty? Um, yeah, Michael Wadron, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I think this is, like, one of the most Rick and Morty-esque stuff, right? Like, the idea of the, when he discovered... Uh, multiple universes in his world of course other selves also did it and they met each other yeah. and they talked and like we're heading into council of rick territory here but of course if you have you know some versions of him who are going to do this you have other versions who are going to be like crazy and psychotic and so you end up in situations here where other versions of him wanted to conquer the multiverse leading to this giant war and then he found a way to stop it um and he's been doing this like as a t- as part of the tva for so long i think that's really interesting stuff and i think though the version we see of in the future past or whatever uh is gonna be like the one like that we saw the statue of like it is more kang the conqueror not he who remains slash kang the professor you know or whoever you want to call him <laughs> at this particular point um so yeah it, it it was it was really just it was a cool performance and i really liked it and like for a nerd like me who's into like the moment of like we're gonna do the the explanation of the multiverse and and, and the theory here uh, I really liked it, but again, I'm just so curious about other people and like what, what yeah. they which we'll get to. We'll get to that feedback, of course, you know. But um, like it was, it was my jam, and I'm curious if it if it was everyone's jam, so to speak. Yeah, because I could imagine that some people, if you on paper tell someone you're going to love this series, the finale is a 20 minute expo dump, right? And then they fight <laughs> for like two minutes, and then things change at the very last second. You're like, that sounds like an absolutely terrible finale. I totally agree with you, Kevin. Like, they're feeding us what we want. But I can imagine, I know we got this response from a couple of people in the post-show recaps Discord, that it was a little bit out of left field, and it was a little bit of, like, a halt to what they felt like was a momentum, right? If this is the Wizard of Oz... They get to Oz, you know, they got the witch's broom, Toto pulls the curtain, and then the wizard says, all right, you got me. Now, sit on down. Let me tell you every single thing that's happened to me in the past 30 years of my life. I can understand it from that perspective, and I can certainly imagine if you didn't see it coming, nor if you necessarily, like, are on the Jonathan Majors news vein, or if you care about this character, you would feel like, who is this guy where is he coming from? He seems like he's fun, but I don't really care about him whatsoever. Go back to Mobius, go back to Renslayer, get up and do something, Sylvie and Loki. Yeah, and I think that's where the bumps are going to be, because as much as I, I I liked it from the perspective of me as like a nerd and a fan, I think when we head into the storytelling part, we are going to hit bumps and we are going to hit some like weird stuff because... This is the thing, right? Like, you get to this point, the villain is revealed, you get an expo dump, but, like, so what? They leave us with a tease. That's the biggest issue. And, like, usually the tease will come in a post credit scene. Marvel movies, for more or less, can still feel very self-contained. This doesn't, mm. ultimately, at the end. Because you have a situation where you have a conversation, and this is the thing about that. You have a conversation between these characters where he tells you, if this happens and you kill me, you know, if X, Y. And the problem is, we don't really see Y. We see 
a glimpse of why we see something right. where we're like, okay, I guess that's a Y. Or if I look at it a different way, maybe it's still an X. Um, so you don't get that. You don't get the like, Kang dies, this version dies. And literally as Sylvia sitting there, uh, or Loki or whatever, another version like appears or walks out from something. And it's like this psychotic evil. And you can, and he immediately establishes why what you did was bad because like, the what you did was bad is that there's a multiverse. Look at all the branches. And, and we're like, but again, that's super abstract for most of us. We're just like, who cares if there's a multiverse? The only reason we think multiverse is bad is because you told us, Kang told us that there's a bunch of versions of him that are crazy and evil, but we don't see that. So there's no context for it besides just like, there's a lot of branches on this line. I guess that's a thing, yeah. right? So um, listen, I'm going to be the one to make the loss comparison here. It reminds me a lot of the course of Lost Season 2 when it was like, all right, why should we press the button? Well, if we don't, someone told us the world will end. And it sort of feels like this finale was a bit of like everything almost leading up to the finale of Season 2 when we finally got to see what happened if you don't press the button with this idea of, okay, this multiversal war was beginning, but there certainly is this idea of... You know, the the idea of narrative is so much fun that you have these heralded timekeepers. We hear about this opening exposition in episode one, and it turns out it was Kang all along. It's just this idea, right, that it's almost a religious idea that this this legend, this sort of uh, this sort of like larger than life story of the people who established was just some guy. And yeah, he was a smarter than natural time traveling guy, but he was some guy and a bunch of different versions of him are the reason why this happened. It's no necessarily like omniscient timekeepers necessarily, or at least not the the way the robotic facsimiles that they are. Uh, but, you know, it could still be this idea of, and I'm certain that Sylvie had this perspective of, what if he's lying? What if there isn't a multiversal war if we end up killing him? And it turns out, much like to quote John Locke, she was wrong Let's let's unpack the ending here a little bit, because here was my read, Kevin. So for those that don't remember, Loki, you know, is sort of pouting for a second in the TVA where Sylvie apparently sent him back. He approaches Mobius and B-15 and basically says, like, we've got to get out of here. And they say, new phone, who this? Who are you? And then Loki walks outside and sees that the statues of the timekeepers are replaced by a statue, a singular statue of someone with the face, at least of he who remains my read was that this was now a multiverse version of the tva that for maybe the tva then his universe no longer exists and now this is an alternate version of the tva in a universe where instead of mulling away in a citadel and munching apples and talking to talking clocks he now like became the heir apparent of the tva um sort of i think it's uh, I think it's a little. I think I think it's a little trickier than that. Sort in a way, and this is where you get into time travel shenanigans, right? And like, and the weirdness of it all. Um, one the statue thing, and that's the other thing. So that 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 I mean is like, again, there's a lot I liked, but the ending I feel was like you 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 don't give the you don't give the oomph because you just leave us wondering, like, okay, I guess that's bad. Um, because the statue means what? Like wh- like. The statue implies a lot, but it means nothing mm. because it's a statue for a conqueror, possibly that we don't know. We haven't met, and we don't know why he's dangerous. So, Kang being in control of the TVA could be nothing because we don't know. Doesn't necessarily even mean that it's a bad version of Kang. We know it's going to be because otherwise, why else would there be danger? 
Uh, but it could just be a good version of Kang who also found the TVA to also try and set right things. So again, statue means nothing. Um, or it means everything. It means both, right? Like when you mean everything, you mean nothing. Um, as for it being a, a multiversal TVA, I'm not too sure about that because again, it's hard to pinpoint what they were trying to establish TVA as. It looked like the TVA existed with outside of the multiverse. So what it looks to me is just because when they killed Kang and he essentially the timeline gets fractured because it's not a timeline that's getting fractured from the po- from a certain point. The fractures are going to happen forever now. The fractures mm-hmm. are throughout all time itself. It's just that this new, with these new fractures, a version of Kang founded the TVA, which means the world around Loki changed uh, and altered. Uh, it's very back to the future. Loki, mm-hmm. you know, something happened uh, with, because of Kang. And Loki went back to 1985. Oh, so now Loki has to go bedroom. back and get Odin and uh, the Frost Giants together to, so that he could be born, right? He's disappearing at the moment? Correct. So that's that's going to be the romance story subplot of uh, Season 2, <laughs> which I would like a lot better than the romance subplot of Season 1. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's what's happening here, is that sort of time travel shenanigans. And I think, you know, that again... This, see, this is what I mean. Like, there's a lot I like, but at the same time, like, I wish that this was earlier so we could get the time travel shenanigans. We could get more of the other stuff. We could get the fun stuff that was the previous episode that I really liked a lot. And the ending, again, I think it, it relies a lot on trying to tell us that it's something and implying that it's something, but it's much more powerful when you show us that something. Um, you know, so, and I think that that's it. Like, it's the show don't tell. They literally just spent the entire episode telling us that things are bad as opposed to showing us the real, real bad. Showing us a line with branches on it is not is not going to be effective in terms of, like, real danger. Um, again, for me, cool, I get it. Um, but, like, just in a broader sense, I think there's some stuff missing there. Again, not to say that, I again, I really liked a lot of this episode. I really liked the, the decision-making process. I love the fact that the, Loki and Sylvie had to confront each other about this thing, of, and, and, and yeah. you know, they end up on opposite sides. There's a question of Loki, you know, did he change, really? I think there's a lot of that, and I think that stuff's really cool. Um, you point out, you know, to, to, to switch topics to something that, as much as I liked, eh, we were talking about before, was, of course, the uh, Ravana uh, Mobius <laughs> stuff. What I do find interesting, but at the same time kind of like, oh, okay, I wish they went a little bit further into it, is the idea, you said the TVA, this mythos, right, is almost religious. And that's yeah. what Ravana ultimately felt like to me at the end. She's a religious fanatic. Because she's someone mm. who has dedicated herself to a faith, a belief system. And like, like she says, it can't all be for nothing. The idea that like this is all for something is what propels a lot of religion. The idea that after all this is over, it means something in an afterlife, that this isn't just the end. For a lot of people, that's what it's about. And I think for Ravana, it's a, it's a similar situation that she spent her whole life dedicated to like this idea of faith. And she's now in serious questioning of it. Um, and like that broken faith, I think is leading her down interesting paths. I did like her line kind of, because like that idea of, um, you know, what did she say? Uh, she said like, I'm going to go find my free will. I'm going to search a free will. Yeah. I'm going to get search a free will, which to me means that Ravana is going after Kang because her whole line before that to Mobius was that, um, there's only one person who has free will, ultimately the person in charge. So if she's going in search of free will, it means she's going in search of being in charge. And I think that's in, that's an interesting path for her. What I found kind of like, oh, okay, is the part where uh, I did like the reveal that the, the the pen was a memento she kept from her mm-hmm. previous life. I like that a lot. What didn't make sense to me, though, 
is when they go and uh see uh B15 uh leads the other, you know, the other person into the room to be like, "Okay, here it is." And I'm like, "Did you do this with everyone in the TVA over the course yeah. of X amount of time?" Uh, explain yourself. Yeah, th- this this storyline felt like there were scenes that were either cut or maybe it's like a WandaVision finale thing where, like, due to COVID, you know, they couldn't bring Darcy back, and so maybe they couldn't film a couple other things. Because, yeah, it was odd to sort of have, all right, well, B-15 did it for one minute, man, so you can assume that it, the word spread amongst the TVA, but then it all doesn't matter because all their memories got maybe wiped. Uh, so they don't, they might not even remember that. Or they're going to do, like, a Once Upon a Time thing where season two is them remembering who they formerly were. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't I, I, believe I, you referenced one of them. Of course. Listen, I I... I So I think I realized that I think the weak point of this show is that unlike the other two series that came before it, I don't think it's interested in building out an ensemble cast. You know, I think WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier were both very dedicated to being like, all right, we're going to try to, you know, juggle a lot of balls at once and give stories to a lot of people, sometimes to the detriment. Whereas I think we now looking back on Loki are saying, yeah, this was Loki's story, and you might throw in some moments for Mobius, you might throw in some moments for Sylvie, you might give some stuff to B-15 and some stuff to Ravana, but it's really not about them, and I think that was a subversion of my expectations through this part of it, of realizing, like, yeah, this isn't really their story. They're but part then, of the main they're the part of the main cast, but they were more so meant to sort of, like, appear, Ravana especially, right? I Again, I'll repeat what I said last week, I'm happy she's not the mustache-twiddling villain I thought we were gonna be going down, but it was kind of a nothing burger in this episode, and it was very clearly set up to be like, we'll see more from her in season two. She has a path to go on herself. Right, but like, I, I think you're right. I think this is a weird, like, this is Loki's story, but then this should have been, should have been a limited series, and the others could, could have kept going. Because like a, a point of TV show is having more ensembles, is having more subplots, is having other characters you can follow and grow. The Flash is about the Flash, but guess what? There's a hell of a lot of other people that were following on those storylines. And I think the idea of like this is Loki's story kind of becomes tricky when you are clearly had planned a season two. Like the ending, like besides the post credit scene, the ending of this episode says that there's more coming in a season two. So yeah. that by its own virtue, I think is the day misstepped because I, I do think you're right. They should have been an ensemble cast. There should have been more about these other characters that they could have grown with that we would have followed into future seasons. Because I'm going to be perfectly honest. If the show is just this character, one, that is super limiting because you're not going to have a lot of character growth. And two, I don't want to see multiple, multiple seasons of the same character trying to take two steps forward and falling on his face over and over again. That gets very old at a certain point. Eventually you're just like, upset that the that the coyote keeps falling off a cliff and you're just like <laughs> jesus christ get it together or do something else um so like i i think that there's a worry about heading down those paths you know um but again we won't know until i guess we see what comes of this further because this could play into ant-man this could play into certainly doctor strange and i'm excited to see that my big thing was that i wanted this to impact the greater marvel universe and i think it kind of does and I'm hoping it really does. Uh, certainly it creates the multiverse, but like how much is these pieces really going to connect back? We don't fully know, but I'm interested mm. to see that. This is the type of stuff that I really wanted them to do with it. It's to affect a greater scheme of things. But when does the payoff come in to this direct storyline? You know, um, those are going to be the interesting questions to follow up with because Lord knows Marvel has its plans uh, for the next few years. 
but I don't see the direct connection to Loki quite yet. But then again, if Loki season two is coming out next year, if it's in somewhere, there's still a lot. There's still a lot that could be happening. Yeah. It, Loki two might premiere around the same time as Doctor Strange. You know, like yeah, who knows what'll be happening. Well, because I know there were some rumors that like they might have tried to film both seasons at the same time, which would make sense, right? That's only 12 episodes. I mean, to your point, it's a paradigm shift from something that you specifically have established in the past, which I think WandaVision and, and, and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier have made you believe like these are canon, but not really canon in that you could sort of skip them go to the movies and sort of be completely fine. It's really gratifying emotional journeys, but not incredibly vital ones. This is different. Arguably, to your point, this could be the Nexus event of the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse, not even Universe Multiverse, which is a wild thing. I totally agree with you that the multiverse, just as a concept, is is one of my favorite things in comics. I mean, let's talk about something that you just mentioned. So shortly after the Loki finale dropped on Wednesday, it was reported that Tom Hiddleston as Loki will be appearing in some capacity in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, I don't know all the details on it. I don't know if this is going to be like a, hey, Loki's now fighting alongside Doctor Strange to help contain everything. I don't know if, ironically enough, is this going to be like Doctor Strange was in Thor Ragnarok of just like appearing for five minutes and then leaving. I'm not entirely sure, but... It's it's fun. I'm glad that they still keep these these things under their hat as to the surprises that they can pull out. I'm glad they didn't reveal it early because I think that really blows the lid off on this twist. You know, I know I came on here last week saying I think this is going to cause the multiverse of madness, but I think a confirmation of that rumor beforehand would have just all but made it certain that something was going to happen. Uh, are you excited to see in whatever capacity, you know, Loki comma horn to Eye of Agamotto with Doctor Strange at some point later this year or early oh, next year early next year uh for sure I mean I've been excited for the multiverse of madness for a while I'm ho- again I, I I keep holding out hope that the multiverse of madness is going to be what I hope Loki was going to be you know like I I feel like the, those are those are the things that I, I keep wanting and so we might get that in multiverse of madness with the confirmation that Tom Hiddleston will be in there for me the, the capacity even I don't necessarily it doesn't need to be like a direct tie to the TVA and like what we've been seeing. I think it can be. I think it can be him popping in. I hope not, but it can mm-hmm. be him popping in like the Flash in, you know, <laughs> Batman v Superman yelling at him about time or whatever, um, which would be like a mess. Uh, oh, I thought, I thought you meant the Flash in Crisis on Infinite Earths where he no, runs into like awesome. another, another version of himself. That would be cool, but that's like the version interacting with himself, right? But if you have the Doctor Strange going through a multiverse of madness, the idea that Tom Hiddleston could be showing back up as Loki because it's a version of Loki from a different universe, yeah, sure, that makes perfect sense. Technically speaking, it would be awesome if there were multiple versions of like the different characters that we've seen showing up. It would be incredible to get like a pop-in of a version of cap a version of tony stark you know like that's that's the dream of the multiverse but in the reality of movies obviously there's contracts and all this other stuff that become that muddles a lot of that so loki being in it i think could mean a lot of different things it doesn't necessarily mean it connects back to this i don't know if it necessarily would have spoiled it but um it certainly would have helped let threads i think you're right there right like people could have probably connected the dots a lot quicker yeah and i think it's also going to be a fun idea to get loki involved with Again, I think some of these other Marvel characters as well, especially since with the confirmation of season two, it's odd that Loki is becoming a more serialized character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the show 
large in part is meant to exist separate from everything, right? The TVA is a location removed from time and space entirely. Looks like we're going to stay there or some version of it for season two. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, is Loki able to sort of like pop in and make an impact when he's not really living in the same timeline as all of these other characters. It is exciting, though, to get to get more Loki interacting with at least different characters, right? He's not going to be appearing in Thor Love and Thunder, at least not what we know of. Uh, so we now he gets to interact with new permutations. Like you've said many times, we don't want to see the same character beats with Loki. And I think having him interact with a Stephen Strange, having him interact with a Wanda Maximoff, and that's another interesting thing as well. Something that I saw online that's a really fun theory is that let's go back to the post credit scene from the WandaVision finale where, you know, Wanda's studying this grimoire and in her trance and her feels and she hears what seems like the voice of her kids crying out. There's a non-zero chance those kids are alive in a multiverse. For sure. And that the multiverse being opened allowed these kids to call out for her to hear them and perhaps now her journey in multiverse of madness is going to be her hopping through these attempting to find whatever universe her children are alive in. I think it's a very fun connector to a, a post credit scene that I think caused a lot of speculation but was a little bit out of nowhere back earlier uh, this year. Oh yeah, for certain, and I think that could work really well, right? The drive to once the multiverse now exists, uh, having her like trying to find her alive children throughout them. Uh, you know, like maybe she's Sam Beckett just hopping from multiverse to multiverse to find, you know, make right what once went wrong and find her children. I don't know. Um, but like that theory definitely holds true. I think it could work. I think there could be grand connectors that carry through, uh, into the movies, which is what the ideal situation is for me. Uh, like you said, I don't necessarily know if the TBA is going to have to show up, but it would be awesome to have, you know, Doctor Strange interact with Mobius or something. I think there's a lot of fun that could be had with that sort of things. That's sort of the hope I want. Like, you know, we already know that Monica Rambeau is going to be in Captain Marvel 2 after mm-hmm. making a debut in um, uh, WandaVision, WandaVision, although technically she already was in Captain Marvel. <laughs> but like the bigger than that, Ms. Marvel, I suppose. Right. Like, you know, there, there, there's all this other stuff that I think uh, could could play into like how these shows interact. And that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I want. I would love to see She-Hulk in a, in, in a major uh, Marvel movie, and that's the crossover stuff that 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 should be happening. I think between these movies and the films, uh, we haven't quite gotten there yet, though. I think that's the thing because obviously we haven't had a movie in a while. <laughs> so let's get into a couple of pieces of feedback. Again, it's going to be sparing because much more is going to be covered, especially overall thoughts about Loki next week with josh and kevin definitely get some time to sort of munch on that sit back in your chair a la kang and and mull on what this six episode series has to offer and i guess speaking of the number of episodes let me start with this comment from ethan uh who said i am fine with stuff being answered in later seasons i just personally don't really understand although i'm sure there are either analytics or money aspects behind it why they feel the need to make these shows only six episodes and cram so much into them I feel like with both Falcon and the Winter Soldier in particular and Loki, you end up with so many characters who seem interesting, whose stories slash motives don't really make sense or seem pointless or wasted, and feel if you stretch it to 8 to 12 episodes that there's enough plot to stretch it out that long and could really benefit from developing other aspects. So I know it's it's tough to ask this immediately for you, Kevin, but now that we have seen how these six episodes of Loki turned out, do you think this series would have benefited from going a little longer? Um, 
if the story was different, I guess is the best way to put it. Because like you have this situation where if this is the end goal, that means the end goal is still this at the end of eight episodes, and maybe they could have expanded stuff, but it still ends the same way. So I think you do run into that bump and that struggle. Um, I don't mind six episodes. I think eight is maybe the, the sweet point. That's always, I remember what we used to say about the Marvel uh, Netflix shows is just like, mm. it would have been great um, because they stretch stuff out. And yeah, thir- weirdly, 13 a piece, right? Was the Marvel Netflix stuff? I think it was 13 and then they certain ones cut down to 10. Um, but like, I do think for something like this, I, I, I think eight could have been really good as well. Really depends on the show. Cause like imagining stretching out some of the stuff that happened here, I don't know where I would have made those choices. I don't know where I would have maybe focused in longer. I, I, I would have focused in maybe longer on having Loki as part of the TVA. Yeah. Of I, I would say if, if we could know. take this stuff from episode two and maybe build it out across another episode, yeah. I would have been fine with that. Cause again, I think that's my own expectations. That's what I came into the series thinking it was going to be Same. maybe a weekly procedural where Loki jumps into here's he Now he's in a Renaissance fair. Now he's in a Pompeii and he's going to, I don't Very Whovian in that perspective. And so maybe if we sit a little bit in that, I, I think, given the six episodes, I am happy we got the Sylvie reveal in episode two, because actually it's very invo- uh, evocative of the Kang reveal here, and that I think what the show really benefited from was, I think, taking its time in revealing how important its characters were when they were important characters. Again, to take Ravana, take B-15, put it, put him in a different category here, but I think introducing Sylvie in episode two, and introducing Kang... Really, in like the first, what, 10 minutes of this finale, I think we're both great choices because rather than feeling, okay, am I supposed to care about this character now? I equated to like a JRPG yesterday of, oh, this isn't the final boss. This is the final boss, the person you never saw before. It allowed us to get to know their personality, care about them as characters, so that when one stabs the other in the finale, there, there are at least some, maybe not complete emotional stakes involved, but at least like some emotion attached considering these are not just faceless avatars of plot points yeah i definitely agree with that with you on on this and i think it 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 it, it worked out in the right way and the, the reveals came at the right time and i think again made made a little more sense for me i mean my my feelings about the agatha reveal are pretty clear in in that podcast um i think this was done a little bit in a more in a way that made sense to me all right let's get to one of those opinions uh you asked for kevin so this is from jeff who watched the finale with his daughter, he says, the end just didn't make any sense to us. Loki returning to different universe A was too subtle, and B still doesn't make sense. For five episodes, we were led to believe that the TVA was a constant among a myriad alternate realities, a nexus where they knew what was going on when no one else did. So now you're saying there are multiple TVAs? That doesn't make much sense. And even if one could explain it to me in the way that does, it certainly didn't make sense when we were watching the episode. So I think, Kevin, that does speak to your point about how, while they were trying to build to sort of like a timpani crescendo at the end, it, I think, opened up a lot of questions as to like, okay, where is he? In what multiverse? Does this imply that there are multiple TVAs? Does the TVA change now? It really just sets up like a huge trap door of questions for us to fall into when it comes to season two. Yeah, and I think that's, again, that's the thing, right? They ended in such a way where they didn't really give you any semblance of, like, where where your mind should be on stuff, which, again, I'm not saying that you have to just be there with all the answers, but I feel like, again, they situate you in such a way. They spun you around in circles, and they're just like, ha-ha, what do you think? And I'm like, I think I'm dizzy. But, um, you know, and technically speaking, 
just to just to go a different way here. Technically speaking, there could be multiple TVAs, and the TVA could exist beyond, or you know, the TVA could now exist in multiple universes because previously there was only one main timeline. The TVA had access to points in time that they could go and prune the other ones from existing. So there was no other TVA because the timeline itself necessitated only one TVA existing because there was only one timeline. So now that there's multiple timeline and multiple breaks, there technically could be multiple TVAs that exist because there's different paths each of them could have followed. So theoretically speaking, yes, there could be multiple TVAs. Do I think that's smart? Absolutely not. But I, you know, that's, that's what I think could be happening here. How he, how he ended up in this situation. Now, how he got actually to this specific TVA is a hell of a question because mm-hmm. if he went through that portal, why did it shoot him out in a different version? Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of questions there for that as well. But th- th- there's an answer there about why is there more <laughs> TVA when they told us there wasn't previously. I can't wait for season two when we get TVA, but the A stands for alligator. And it's just all a bunch of alligator <laughs> characters just wandering around in a pool. The all the all alligator TVA universe. Yes, please. I would not be mad at it. Uh, let's let's finish off the feedback here from a comment from uh, Mike Bloom. I believe his name who, is. Who is this? Who is this guy? I'm not sure. Some rando wandered into the comments section here. No, look, uh, admittedly, I did not know I was going to be on this podcast when I when I posted this <laughs> feedback. But this is also my overall thoughts about Loki. Uh, Kevin, I, I, if you want to reserve your comments about the full series until next week, that's totally understandable. But I figured this would be sort of like the venue for me to give my overall thoughts. Which is that, in my opinion, Loki is my favorite of the Disney Plus MCU series for, for so far. Might be supplanted by What If? Uh, who's to say? I totally agree with what you said before, that I think it's very fun that this comes immediately preceding What If? As if to say, like, well, all this could have been caused by what just happened here. Now that the multiverse is opened, enter the Watcher to be like, okay, now I gotta recap all this crap that's happening since this is what Sylvie did. I think it's an incredibly fun idea. I'm also very excited in that it might be the least consequential to the MCU, and that is oddly fun. I think I say that as on behalf of someone who like spends every week, like we all do, speculating and trying to connect everything. It's nice to sometimes like turn your brain off and say, "Yeah, it would be cool if if uh, if if we had Captain Carter or if T'Challa was uh, Star Lord." You know, it's fun to experience those things without thinking about the overall canonical. Uh, like right that's why i love the multiverse i love spending time in this different universe where pads went differently i think when people think of multiverse they think of what's happening here in loki with with the interactions in the way and i think that is dangerous territory when people talk about the multiverse is confusing this is this is what's confusing about it right and dc does crisis on infinite earths too many times which they do <laughs> over and over again that's where it gets confusing I think having multiple universes in which you can tell different stories about these characters that we know and love and how they shape and change depending on different circumstances. I think that's really cool. I think that's fascinating. I think that opens up storytelling potential. So that's what I like is usually when you have something like what if and the universes are separate. Uh, but sorry, continue. <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, I wrote, Mike Bloom wrote, the visual inventiveness and that kick-ass score helps set it apart from what we're used to. The ideas were very fun, especially in a post-time travel universe. The performances were great as always. Even if some of the characters weren't completely fresh fleshed out, parentheses, we'll see what happens with Ravonna in season two, I guess. And it proved to be the most important show we've gotten so far in both introducing Kang and the Multiverse of Madness. I want to go back to a point I made. God, this sounds pompous. I'm feeling very Loki-like here with being like, let me reference myself. Let me kiss myself in feedback form. Uh, The score to Loki was so much 
fun. Again, I think it evokes that sort of like timeless bureaucratic Brazil like atmosphere with the way they used almost like electronic music synthesized with the epicness that comes with a typical MCU score. It really came to prominence in this episode. But I just want to give major kudos to just like the production team on this between everything they did. Uh, when I was just looking at the Citadel at the end of time and I'm like, this isn't a Marvel TV show. This is absolutely wild to me. And I, I don't know if we're getting one of those like Avengers uh, Unleashed or whatever the name is for the behind the scenes making for Loki next week. But I'd love to see it because I would love to see how they came up with the inventiveness of all the production design behind this. It was so unorthodox compared to anything else MCU. And like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, it's one of the reasons why I really love this because this is one of those types of things where I'm like, okay, they're trying new things. They're branching out into television and they're going into weird places. And at least at the end, Loki was delivering on that for me. Uh, yeah, I, I, the call out to the score, especially I think is great. Cause I do really love the score. Like, you know, that main theme with the synthesizer you're talking about, that kind of like feel to it. I really like a lot. There's definitely in the music, I think it's so spot on. It's like what this show was and its weirdness. And at the same time, bureaucratic like stuff. I think it really, really fit. And the production quality also is really good. The production quality in all these Marvel shows have been really, really high. So, um, again, the quality is really great when it comes to that stuff. Obviously you got big name talent, you got big budget and you're like doing some really cool visual stuff and all that stuff is working out uh the shows themselves i think are, are good but uh, even for Loki, i mean i'll save the loki i'll save the stuff for how i feel for yeah. loki until 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 next week but uh yeah put it know. in a, put it in a time door kevin save it for a little bit i should also uh, natalie holt i should shout out is the name of the composer for loki and she's got a lot of great stuff out there about uh you know the theremin that she involved like basically invoking all of these almost star trekky-esque vintage instruments into it to again evoke this timelessness really cool really recommend you you look that up if you're interested in all that music stuff but we are going to change tunes speaking of music and let me give fair warning to the everything is super listeners out there we are going to take a hard pivot from talking about the finale of loki talking about the newly released film Black Widow, first brand new Marvel movie in over two years, almost two years, actually. Wild. Absolutely wild. Uh, Kevin and I have both seen it. We are going to give spoiler-filled takes on the movie. So, unless you want to be spoiled on what's happening, pack up your web, move elsewhere, come back, listen to the end of this podcast, listen to what Josh and Kevin have to say next week uh, about Black Widow, but we're going to be completely getting into everything, a deep dive, if you will, from a very, very tall height about everything Black Widow. So this is your warning. Take off. Now, you have a choice. Make the choice. <laughs> I'm presenting you with an option right now. Of course, Josh and Kevin will be back next week. You can still write in your overall thoughts about Loki, especially as you sit throughout the week and marinate on them, super at postshowrecaps.com or send them in individually, josh at postshowrecaps.com, Kevin at postshowrecaps.com. So be sure to send in your Loki stuff. They're going to keep talking Loki next week. But again, if you don't want to be spoiled on Black Widow, go get, get while the getting's good. Go branch off. Because we are sticking to this very solid trunk of a very Russian tree. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. I'm I assuming, don't know either. I'm curious to see where it goes, though. I'm assuming <laughs> Russia has trees. No, none.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here we are, Kevin. Hopefully everyone has left at this point, And we don't have to be so secretive. I hope everyone hasn't left. I hope the people who watched Black Widow stayed. <laughs> No, it's just you and me now. Uh, hopefully, so now we can be as secretive as the Romanoff family was once upon a time, and we can talk about Black Widow, which came uh, this July 9th to mm-hmm. uh, to theaters as well as to Disney Plus. This is the first MCU movie that was part of their sort of like premium thing. I believe so far it is going to be the only. One, I'll be intrigued to see if that changes, uh, obviously, as the news changes, but also as the figures come in as to whether it was profitable for Disney to do. Let me come right out and and say this, Kevin, and, and tell me if this is a hot take or as cold as Russia. This is my favorite non-Avengers MCU movie since Black Panther. That is a hot take. I'm not even saying that, like, that's not the case, fully i don't know i mean that's that you're putting me in a weird position because i like this movie but that's that's that that's a lot yeah. that's extreme I, I think it's, it's less so spider-man about, like, happened you know that right <laughs> well yeah but I've, i'm sort of like i i enjoyed spider-man far from yeah. home but it, it but it didn't really reach the level of of homecoming for me i think there was so much for, for me to like about this and specifically i think this is a movie that can benefit, and luckily we have the luxury to. It really benefits from a rewatch. You know, I can count the number of times I've been in the Discord this past week for the patrons of Post Show Recaps, and so many people have said, like, the more I sat with it, the more I thought about it, the more the things I thought about initially uh, that I had problems with, I don't really have problems with anymore. I think there's a lot more stuff to dig deep into the more you think about it than just surface-level stuff. And I, I just think it's a, it was a solid movie overall. Were there gripes? Absolutely. If I was giving this an Infinity Stone ranking, I'd probably give it like a 4.7 or 4.8. It is far from perfect. Uh, I think the timing is still suspect of it all. But I gotta say, for someone who went in with like fairly low expectations, I had a great time going back to the theater for the first time in two years to watch Black Widow. I really enjoyed this movie. I had a great time watching it. It was so awesome to be back into a Marvel movie again. The It felt very Marvel, right? The action was great. I thought the acting was great. The character interactions were awesome. Florence Pugh is a goddamn treasure. Uh, <laughs> everything was so good in that movie. Uh, I only ultimately have two gripes with the movie. Um, but, like, everything else was, was, was really enjoyable. David Harper was really fun. 
Um, I, it, you know, uh, this isn't a gripe, but it is like one of those things where I'm just like, I, I can't believe they made a movie essentially to explain why Black Widow has blonde hair and a and a vest in in Infinity <laughs> War. But here we are. Uh, comic book movies are obsessed with explaining people's hairstyle. Like, mm-hmm. if, we, if we if they there's not an origin story to the hairstyle, it makes no sense, I suppose. But this was really <laughs> a movie dedicated apparently to that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I really liked it. The action was great. The, there was a lot of awesome stuff in this. Um, and like, yeah, I, I overall really like this movie. I wouldn't put it <laughs> the best movie since Black Panther, but in agreement, I think if I were to Infinity Stone it, I think it'd be on the, you know, not high end, but like, uh, like around where you're saying, um, I think yeah. that's a solid place for, for this movie. Uh, and, and it was an enjoyable watch. So. Yeah, no complaints there. I just think that coming out the gate with a statement like that is extreme. <laughs> well, I think it's less so about like, this is the most incredible film I've ever seen and more so like my sort of good to madness about movies like Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel and Spider-Man Far From Home. Like, I, I don't feel like they've been home runs necessarily, maybe like ground rule doubles. I think this was a solid triple, at least. And I think, again, it, it comes into with expectations. I, for some reason, thought this was going to be like the origin story of Natasha Romanoff. And it really wasn't. This takes place over what seems to be what, like a week long period in 2016 post civil war and before infinity war. This is, this is, I mean, if we're talking about the story of her vest, this is the story of how black widow somehow able to show up in a Quinjet and pick up Steve Rogers and, you know, save uh, Wanda and vision, right? Like this is how she gets to that point. And maybe, and that's one thing I can quibble with is like the ending. I was sort of eh, on maybe if you take certain elements out of the post credit scene, that would have been a more resounding, you know, impactful point was like, for lack of a better term, she dead. And let's sort of like memorialize her in that regard. Cause yeah, I mean, that's, let's remember this is sort of like the posthumous love letter to the black widow character who is not coming back. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it now so we can just get this out of the way. Uh, my two big gripes. The first big gripe is, uh, I mean, they're all ending related, but the first big one is what the hell happened in the scene that they decided to cut between General Ross showing up and then us seeing her later? Why have that? Why not? She, she ran off. Why even have General Ross show up? Why have them call General Ross? Just have it that the, 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 like the, the, they had a plan. They were just going to bring it down. Cool. Yeah. And then when it came down, came crashing down, you, General Ross probably would have seen that too and shown up anyway. But then you would have had an instance where she didn't call him and they're on the way. She could have left with them and then you can still have the scene that you set up because she left with them and then left them to go help the other Avengers. And that scene would have made a lot more sense instead of, no, you carry, go along, carry on, friends, and then just stands around and then we don't know anything that happens. <laughs> who, who did that? Who made that choice? Um, so that's the big right because I'm like that. What 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 happened in this moment? You were doing really well up until that point, uh, but the biggest gripe, I think, my biggest gripe, and it's not even a huge gripe, but it's what I've said about this movie from, from the beginning to the end, is that why is this movie coming now? Why is this movie happening now? And that question was not answered, and they gave no attempt to really answer it about like why now, and even like not now, but when it was gonna come out. Why hmm. then? There's so- no reason. But what's crazy, Mike, is this. There's an obvious goddamn way that they could have made this made sense and made this movie make sense as to why it's happening now. 
And instead of showing us a scene where Natasha shows up with blonde hair to explain, this is why she's blonde, everyone, and why she has a Quinjet, show her an endgame sitting yep. at her computer and on the screen, it says, you know, um, Yelena Belova missing. And all of a sudden, Ooh. what do you have? You have Black Widow's whatever it takes line make a hell of a lot more sense for her. You have Black oh, Widow yeah. jumping off of Voromir make a hell of a lot more sense for her. And that's why it came here, because you established that Natasha had really, really deep emotional reason to want to do what she did in Endgame. And instead, you're just, well, she's blonde now. What? Like, the obvious answer was so clearly there that it blows my mind they didn't do that. And then you have more reason in the post credit scene to have Yelena so mad! Because, like, yeah. for her, it should have been him, and she has, like, it all would have tied together a lot better with just that scene. And that's all you had to do, is just have her be there, and all of a sudden it all clicks. It all makes sense. The placement fits. Everything works. So, that's that's my two big gripes. With those mm. out of the way... We can carry on with other stuff, but like, it's oh, just I, no, I love, I love that rewrite. It's almost I, like I know storytelling and yeah. should be a writer. I, I was thinking like, oh no, just do like, just cut to her on Vormir and be like, this was all going through her head before she decides to, you know, make the choice to let uh, go. Jacob's but, Ladder? Come on, yeah. don't Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> no, but but I, I really like that choice for it being on, I mean, yes, we have to see the, the weird, you know, strawberry peppermint blonde red hair again, but it does fill in this idea of like, whatever it takes. I think... What this movie was trying to imply, right, was like how she found her family and maybe that was like not only a sense of closure for her, but also a reason why she ends up sort of abdicating to Clint in that moment of like, I know how important family is. You have one. I had my moment. Now I'm done. But I feel like those were a little bit of blanks for us to fill in. And also, like, I don't know. I just I think that the image of uh, Natasha's grave is just like so pronounced that i almost didn't want to reserve it for a post credit scene though of course we had to bring in val and everything which i'll get into later i think it, it was i know you you're not uh doing the whole thing with like the ranking the post credit scenes but th this one was admittedly a bit of a miss for me uh though we'll get into the larger implications of it later what i was going to suggest even in terms of timing was like get rid of the post credit scene and if they just released this film without that in phase three before infinity war i actually wouldn't have been too mad at it either if they actually put it like chronologically with everything post-civil yeah, war it came out when it made sense that would have been fine too but it didn't so like that's yeah. that was a big question right like if it if the movie was placed uh, sorry when it came out would have made sense would have been like you said between those periods of time that would have been fine it, no complaints but they decided to do it after endgame and at that point it's just like but why yeah so i mean let's actually so let's go from the end to the beginning, because my God, I was grabbed by this. And again, like to your point, maybe it was because it was my first time seeing an MC a new MCU movie in quite some time, first time back in the theater. But I was hooked by those first 10 minutes. And in particular, this has got to be, maybe more hyperbole on my part, the greatest opening credit sequence I've seen in an MCU film. Like, what yes, are you making these? Mike, what are you doing? <laughs> but I listen, like, yes, it's it's a little schlocky to do the the here we are now entertain us. But like, I love that opening credit sequence because it did so much show, not tell with everything 
that Natasha and Yelena went through. I loved getting to see them young. Oh, you I mean loved- just the credits? Yeah, not not like the whole like uh, take off on the plane, you okay. know, betrayal thing. Yeah, no, I'm taking I like the credits a lot. I also am a huge Nirvana fan, so this I was the slow cover of uh, of Smells Like Teen Spirit was definitely here for me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just loved again like the montage of it that we got to see not only what happened to those two specifically, but like what happened to all the widows. And I think that was a narrative they were really trying to drive home this entire time is like these are two of many. And this is the story of how they try to essentially bring down a trafficking operation from within. And I think the it, it almost didn't feel very MCU for them to do it that way. And I, I really enjoy, again, how much they sort of took a more of a trip into like the wordless montage, as it were. Not not like the opening from Up, but in a very different way of like using music and using images to evoke what could easily be told through exposition. Right. And we had a lot of exposition in this movie. And I'm glad that they took like two to three minutes to just show us that journey to get us to to get us from Mila Jovovich's daughter to Scarlett Johansson and show like this is all the trauma that she's gone through. Who that was? Yeah, so that was Mila Jovovich's and Paul Anderson's daughter, uh, with the blue hair played oh, young uh, played young Natasha. I uh I, I legit at the very beginning thought they were gonna misdirect for a hot second until they said her name. Um, because, uh, when she shows up and she just, because, this is me cause I, I, I know the, the, the character, but like when, she, when, um, uh, Yelena's doing the bridge and then she comes mm-hmm. in and just does the bridge immediately. I was like, Oh, is this Taskmaster? Taskmaster? <laughs> <laughs> because like, she just mimics the bridge. Taskmaster, you're Mephisto. Oh, is this Taskmaster? Now? Right. It was uh, because like, she mimics the thing and I'm like, that's the Taskmaster thing. <laughs> but, uh, it was not that. Uh, so they said Natasha I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, so I would say overall, to completely agree with you, I think that actually the strongest part of this movie to me might have been its supporting cast. This was oh, an incredibly fun supporting cast. Of course, heap all the praise onto Florence Pugh, everything yes. that she was able so to bring. Uh, I love the, the everything from the comedy to just that heartbreak in that final scene as well, like really runs the spectrum I mean, David Harbour's just so good at comedy, man. He's just so freaking funny, especially when he's the expense of the joke. And they also brought some shades, though, with the Red Guardian, right? Of how, despite him being a doof, he still is loving. One of my favorite scenes, to be candid, was the scene between Red Alexi and Yelena, mm-hmm. when they're just, like, arguing in the bedroom, and then he sings American Pie before, you know, everything it's goes haywire. It's, it it's a really beautiful moment and i guess one of those typical marvel second act everything slows down types of things but i i really got that sense of family and uh rachel weiss as well i mean i know she's ironically like been in the news recently or at least been on my mind because i well because one of the trailers that i saw when i went to the theater was for jungle cruise uh oh, yeah. for from from the rock and emily blunt and she's like oh i need you know safe ferry for my brother and me to go on this expedition and i'm like this is just the, the mummy, mummy. This which is was, the which mummy. Which was incredible. That movie's amazing. This is just the Gen Z version of the mummy. <laughs> uh, so when I saw Rachel Weiss on the screen, I'm like, she just keeps coming back now. <laughs> Listen, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I love the original mummy. I, I hope Jungle Cruise is as good as that movie because it's so excellent. Um, yeah, the supporting cast is incredible in this film. I think from top to bottom. And I just want to, I do want to call out Scarlett Johansson in this. Like she does a great job. She does an amazing mm-hmm. job in this movie. Uh, which is really great because this is, you know, her, her movie to shine in. And I really do think she does so. And the, the, the supporting cast is really great, but I do think she stands up there with them. So I got to give her the shout out there. 
But if we're talking about a person who steals the show, it's Florence Pugh by a mile. I mean, she yeah. does such an amazing job in this. And like when this movie was being filmed and when it was supposed to come out, like she was having like a moment. Like, and I think she should keep having moments because you had like Midsummer happening. Mm-hmm. You had like fighting with little, my family, little women, you know, little women. Uh, this is coming out. Like, so it, she was like everywhere and as she should because she's really, really great. Um, and she was so good in this movie. The comedy and, and the, the, the exchanges between her and Natasha were so funny and so good. And it really did feel familial, uh, as you're, as you pointed out. It felt like the, the jabs and the arguments with family that happens, I felt like it was spot on. So like so much of that, I think worked really well. You have so many movies talking about, uh, you know, being in my field or it's just like, well, we want this movie to be about a family. And you have some movies who they literally tell you like, it's about family. Well, yeah, speaking um, of another big blockbuster that came to theaters recently, right? But like this, this movie really did feel like it's about family. I think they really hit the nail on the head, which is such a rarity when people say those phrases. Um, so I really like that aspect a lot and uh, what it means to be family, which is, again, why if they had just tied it back to Endgame being the family connection, that would have been great. But whatever. Um, so like I, I loved all that aspects of it. Um, I think the, the villain is where we're going to get into like a little bit of trouble, in my opinion. But, you know, means to an end, ultimately, for, for, for where they were, where the bigger story they were trying to do. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about Drakeoff here. Cause I, I agree. Oh, Drakeoff. Well, I guess him too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, oh, interesting. Who did you think was the, or did you just talk about Taskmaster? Let's make a joke about Taskmaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The true villain. Uh, no, we can certainly talk about that. But I, I want to start with Drakeoff because, yeah, this was, this was one of the things that, I initially came out with like a grimace on my face. You know, I was like, oh, this has got to be like one of them, one of the worst MCU villains ever. He didn't do anything. He only showed up in the third act. And when he did, he just got his ass beat. Like he there was nothing to him. He was so generic. But the more I sat with it, the more I realized just how freaking thematically fantastic that is, that this is a movie about kick-ass women on all sides, mm-hmm. as we're going to get into with Taskmaster. And Dracoff was this big bad for so long. Like, the first two-thirds of the movie is like, this is what Dracoff did to us. We have to take down Dracoff. And then we get to the third act, and Dracoff's revealed. And yes, he has this big, like, Schofield-esque plot, but he's kind of simpering. Like, he's he's pathetic. He doesn't do anything. He's able to... He dispatches Natasha temporarily through pheromones, where he basically is like, yeah, I'm able to beat you because I conditioned you and brainwashed you when I kidnapped you as a child. Wahaha, look at me. And then when Natasha breaks that reality, he gets his ass whooped, and he gets murdered, essentially, while he's running away. And I think that is delightful. I think it's one of those things where... You don't get a lot from it on the performance level, but I think what he represents, I think, really supersedes, like, who the character actually is. I don't think that necessarily means that it's a top tier, necessarily, but I would amend what I what I said, you know, when I initially left the theater. I don't think he is the bottom. I think he at least clears a few by just what he stands for in that regard. Oh, yeah. I, I just don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a bad villain. I think he's I think he's overall a fine villain. But thematically, absolutely. I think it makes a lot of sense. He is he is the epitome of uh, of male ego. Right. Like you just have a fragile male ego at that. You have this guy who probably doesn't think, who you know, who probably thought less of himself and he decided to, like, domineer women his entire life to put himself in charge. Mm. Um, and that's what he did. He brainwashed and controls women. That's his his whole thing. 
Um, so I thought that was thematically perfect, right? And I, I think the idea of like him being at the end of the day, like just a simpering, you know, like nothing, I think is great. I, I, I like the fact that like Natasha beat him because she ultimately was able to outstep him. Yep. My one complaint there, actually, and this isn't a gripe, it's just a complaint, is um is one of those things where I thought it would have been a lot cooler if uh cause like when you have that moment of um he says like oh it's a pheromones or whatever and like she starts goading him and he punches her i'm like oh i know exactly what she's doing and like i figured it out but like not everyone did what i didn't like is that they had the flashback Mm. uh where um you know melina told her pheromones and sever the nerve that sucks because i would have had it been a lot better if black widow herself figured it out it would have made her like look at how like she's clever he said that and she figured out, like, let him punch me in the face. And then you don't even have to do a flashback afterwards. You just have to be like, have that same line where it's just like, oh, you know, like, what, you know, I tried to have you do it, but you're not strong enough. So I have to do it myself. And it's like, what are you trying to do? It's like severed a nerve. And then she just does it because she thought of it, not Melina told her. I think that I think that really does hamstring a, a really smart, clever character that we've seen act in smart and clever ways and just made it like, ah, oh, well, someone told her. And it's just like, oh, man, come on. You could have had her be, like, just really, like, out outthink the villain. And I thought that would have been really awesome. Minor complaint. But it's yeah. just, like, one of those, like, character beasts. I was like, ah, oh, it would have been a lot better for that character if you didn't done it this way. That was a really interesting sequence. I think some people agree probably universally that the first half is stronger than the second half. I think your mileage may vary as to how far the second half sinks for you but it the the whole like heist device it really was like the device of a heist movie right almost like Ocean's 11 where, and everything yeah where they're like cut back like okay you're gonna do this thing now so then now but it's like, really oh, we what's had, happening yeah we had this surprise and then we get broadened as to what was happening i do agree though i think you know it was nice to see a little bit of that milena natasha relationship get rushed through but like broadened a little bit because because Milena was brought in so late into the movie she was the character that I think maybe got the short end of the stick when it came to characterization though I don't know if she's uh conditioning pigs not to breathe on command maybe I don't want to see too much of her by comparison (laughs) so so it was a way to sort of like rush through that by saying like okay this was the the mother-daughter conspiracy worked out together let's talk about taskmaster less yeah because so look i was very wrong about the living tribunal but i will i will give myself a little pat on the back back, man the moment well that's why during the credits i was like when it happened i was like is that taskmaster i was like oh my god mike was right (laughs) like immediately (laughs) yeah it wasn't so i was just like but then it was in my head it was in my head forever to be like ooh, i think i think he's gonna be right though i think that's what's gonna happen yeah and and honestly i i forget if the news about uh i think her name is olga kurlyenko plays taskmaster uh, i don't remember if the news came out beforehand that i or i didn't see it because i just assumed again the marketing for this movie all the 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 trailers i'd seen so far just showed like taskmaster in the costume and even in the movie right they're saying like oh he can do this he can do that and i'm like this movie is about you know powerful women overcoming their oppressive male overlords taskmaster is going to be a woman and it turns out to be so. And it's very important. She turns out to be Antonia Drakov. She turns out to be the sort of like Darth Vaderized daughter <laughs> of Drakov. I, so I did not realize this until I did some deep diving. This movie, another reason why it's fun to sit with this movie and maybe even rewatch it, there are so many callbacks to things. And I had forgotten, let's speak about Loki. One of the things that Loki says to Black Widow in the Avengers is like, uh, yeah, your ledgers are running red, 
Remember Drakov's daughter? Remember Columbia? Remember Budapest? And that was a, a plot point that never got answered. And now we get it here that like this. I mean, we got Budapest and Drakov's daughter all in one. Yeah, I actually did not remember that. It's a great callback. Well done on that. Like Budapest was uh, the one that was uh, was the one that everyone really remembers. But yeah, that was one that I I don't think we uh, we we. we everyone like yeah people didn't didn't remember that part um so i do like that come around i do think that was really interesting that they did that uh i mean marvel marvel is very tricky with this sort of stuff i guess <laughs> yeah but, but so i think to that point i think like taskmaster served her purpose within this movie uh which is like she was not the centerpiece she was clearly there to be like an obstacle for a couple of action sequences i think where people's dismay may come from is that taskmaster is you know pretty significant in the comics lore and i could absolutely imagine uh you know kevin if i'm putting words in your mouth that you might feel like this character was a bit wasted in the film from that regard he's fine (laughs) i'm actually like honestly like it didn't bother me that much because like even when they were like the villain was taskmaster in in like the marketing materials i was like taskmaster really okay um he's fine he's fine he's he's fine you know, I think it, it'll tie to a lot of the stuff that will be coming back um, in in future stuff. Like when, when we start talking about the post credits thing, I think that's how Taskmaster can tie in because Taskmaster Taskmaster is a member of a very specific team, if I'm not mistaken, that is going to tie into some of this stuff. Um, but like the silent Taskmaster, you know, is it, it didn't bug me that much. Um, what did <laughs> what did bother me about the reveal? What I thought was so funny is the entire movie you see taskmaster and natasha like fighting and stuff like that taskmaster Mm -hmm. walking around and like taskmaster is so much taller than her yeah and then when they actually do the reveal scene and the mask comes off they do a wide shot and they're like the same height and i'm like (laughs) get out of here get the hell out of here lower my platform boots right and i I know like in the shots the implication is in the shots um taskmaster's taller but in order to do that wide shot they actually had the uh, had to have the actress there in the costume so they could see each other but nobody thought to be like oh we should adjust the height so that made me laugh a lot when that happened i was just like <laughs> guys come on um, yeah and, and the, the taskmaster fighting was fun because again if we're talking about callbacks right she's doing yes. everything from like natasha's own flip over like she does in captain america civil war to Obviously, well, that's her the signature heat. move. The, the Natasha flip, jump, flip, you know, m- uh, moonsault or whatever from wrestling yeah, exactly. is like her move. She does it all the time. She did it in Iron Man 2. Um, yeah, so so I, I love the use of that. And obviously, like the use of all these different sort of callbacks. Because again, that's her MO. And especially, you know, the use of the shield. It was much more so in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I think Captain America's shadow still looms large over everything, right? His name was invoked several times. And so I love her using that. She does the thing right where she, she does kicks the, kick the shield up. Yeah. <laughs> up. Uh, and one thing that I actually would have loved even more from that third act is we get a little bit of Red Guardian versus Taskmaster. But man, I wanted more. Because one thing I loved about the Red Guardian characterization is because we're dealing with a character that we really haven't dealt with yet in the MCU that has proliferated media like The Boys and Invincible. Uh, you know, this idea of like, 
what about those lesser than superheroes who like deal with the celebrity status of others, right? Like Alexi has these these super stories of like, oh yes, I wrestled Captain America and I won and we are comrades now. But like, how do you deal with the fact that there's kind of this losery Russian guy who's a Russian super soldier, but clearly did not pan out the way Captain America did, right? Like his path diversion a completely different direction. And seeing him wield that shield was such a cool image to me, because I'm like, this is him finally getting to be the person that he claimed he was. Yeah. And we didn't see we didn't see that much of it by comparison. Again, maybe that was just sort of me projecting onto more I wanted to see of the character, but I thought it was like a fun beat in that character's overall journey. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought they could have done a little bit more there as well. I mean, the character, I think, at a certain point just became... Like you said, the comedic relief for a lot of it. Uh, you have the moments that were undercut as he's trying to be serious, and then no, you know, it's like you you don't have an earpiece, you know, yeah. like stuff like that. Um, I think those are very funny. I think those moments are very amusing. But I did wish we got a little more of the fight stuff with him. I think he was there as more of a punching back distraction, which is fine because again, this movie is about like the 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 female character, so like you know, you don't necessarily need like a male character there like beating up on the other the main one of the main bad guys, you know. So I, I I think that that worked out fine. It got real weird when they flew into the air. That that became a Fast and Furious movie. Like once yeah. that thing was sinking and they're flipping on stuff, I'm like, we just became Fast and Furious. <laughs> that that being said, though, again, I'll say what I said in the first half of this podcast with Loki. I'll say what I said because I said it <laughs> exactly. I'm so appreciative of the fact that we did net. Like I guess you could count the Taskmaster or like them facing off against all the widows as a quote unquote final battle. But we really didn't have one, and that's because of what Drakov was. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't that guy that's like, now let me get in my mech suit and fight you. It was more so, what it really became was Super Metroid, where after you defeat Ridley, now you're like, okay, I have to get the crap off of this exploding planet. That's essentially what the final battle was. And so I really loved how unorthodox this was. I know it was super OTT, but man, I was a sucker for all that falling through the air and jumping off of debris. I wasn't that surprised when she like hit the ground. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess... She was able to like parkour her way across all that <laughs> falling debris and make it to the ground from a thousands of feet up. But I was just so happy with how unconventional it was compared to everything we've seen before. And it again speaks to the mission, which I would say was a little more James Bondy than what we've seen before, right? It's not about like, here's my final showdown with the big bad. It was more so the big bad is some guy in a suit who represents this absolutely terrible, traumatizing organization. We're going to bring everything down. And the danger is more so getting away, not defeating him. Yeah. Um, so I do like that, except, except um, they've done this before. And I think that uh, when you only have essentially two movies that star female heroes and both of those movies and with no fight. Mm, that's true. To point out. You have all your male superheroes having these cool fight sequences, but the two female ones, for some reason, don't end in a cool fight. Is it because if it, like I like the Captain Marvel one because it was a purpose, right? The idea of just like I don't have anything to prove to you, I'm not going to fight you. Cool, I like that. Um, and you have this one where it's just like the compassion thing, which is really sort of a mimic of uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, right? That's just doing that again. Um, so I think this is fine. And as always, the solution is if you just had more movies with female superheroes as the centerpiece, you could have the diversity of, and it's not something to point out. However, it is noted, notable that the two movies with female heroes happen to have something where there is no big final fight. I would like to see one. I mean, even technically, yeah. I mean, 
Wonder Woman had one in, uh, yeah. in in the first Wonder Woman, and that didn't go super well because it was a CG monster fest. Oh, okay, but- so what would you rather see? Would you rather see Natasha Romanoff like hopping across all this debris Mario style, or would you rather see Gal Gadot lasso a torpedo to propel herself forward? Oh man, see, I like the lasting a torpedo to propel yourself forward. That's fun and that's crazy. I'm into that. Like Wonder Woman's like that. That's that's awesome uh, because Wonder Woman is also a god. So you have yeah. That. I mean, you're entering, and again, it was fun, it was fine, but like, this is just, uh, I forget if you're into this franchise or not. I know Josh is, so I was going to mention it to him, but it literally became Final Fantasy I Advent Children, uh, at the, at that fight scene. <laughs> it just reminded me so much of where Cloud and Sephiroth were fighting each other at the end, where I'm just like, oh my God, physics be damned. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Just like jumping all over the place, like find a landing place. Uh, I want to talk more about Yelena, and I think that segues into talk about the post credit scene, because I think what also this movie accomplished so well is, yes, it was sort of like a final farewell to Natasha. I think Scarlett Johansson has become abundantly clear of like, I'm good with the character. Maybe they'll bring her back for a couple of cameos, but really, much like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, I think she is like done 10 plus years of her life, ready to move on. But I think what this movie did so well and why Yelena made such an impact is that this really served as a passing of the torch, uh, which, you know, we'll also talk about with Hawkeye, which is what Yelena will also apparently be involved in. But this really did seem like a way to set up like this Black Widow may be gone, but there is one in her stead. And this is where Yelena shows up. Well, there's, the, there's the White Widow now is what they're it, probably going to go with because notice that Natasha ended up back in her black suit, but uh, Yelena was wearing the white one almost the whole time. That's true. And I think the yellow, the white outfits are meant to be from something in the comics, uh, I believe. So, it was, it, But I, I think it would make sense to make her, uh, they'll go sort of like a Laurel Sarah Lance of it all, right? With the black canary, white canary stuff. Yes. Uh, which means maybe Natasha will come back to life by the Lazarus pit. Uh, we shall see. But I think it's it's a lot of exciting promise. I think Florence Pugh is just an absolute star, and she really took to this like a duck to water. Again, I think it's also fun to see this version, uh, a different version of a Black Widow, who I think is a little more feisty. I think that Natasha was maybe a little more silky smooth with stuff, and I think that Yelena still sort of has that pugnacious, youthful attitude to her, where she does carry things through like an assassin would, but I think she has a little bit of like oomph behind it as well, which should be exciting. So I'm happy that not only are we getting more of her in the MCU, the MCPU, it might soon become, but this is going to be not Black Widow 2.0, in my opinion, right? This feels like it's going to be a different type of character taking on the mantle. I mean, it's definitely a different type of character taking on the mantle just from personality, right? Like, she grew up very different from the lifestyle Natasha had and hasn't been in the system as long as Natasha had. Um, but I think, like, if we're hitting the post credit scene, I think for me... What I did like about it and like what we were. So this was originally going to be coming out, obviously, before uh, yes. Falcon and Winter Soldier. So this would have been the first time we saw this character. And uh, it, if, and this was going to be the it's the first phase four movie, right? Yep. We've talked about like what's phase four going to do. And I talked about it during the Falcon and Winter Soldier podcast. But it feels like this like she's the anti Nick Fury. And if you're going to have this situation happening, I think personality-wise it fits. I think she's very different because what I think, and I'm surprised I didn't say it, because you did it for Iron Man, why not go all out here? Um, Say Thunderbolts. Just say Thunderbolts. Or the Dark Avengers Initiative. (laughs) Not even the Dark Avengers Initiative. Say Thunderbolts because, very simply, the obvious thing that's happening here, in my opinion, that could lead to this, 
it's not obvious because they might go different directions. But what should be obvious, I think, that they could do here, and it makes a hell of a lot of sense, is very simply you have General Ross, who is nicknamed General Thunderbolt Ross, mm-hmm. who's on the hunt for superheroes, who does not like them, especially the ones who have embarrassed him, and like Hawkeye, like <laughs> and, Black and Widow. give him another heart attack. Give him another heart attack. So you have a situation where he forms a counter team based on people that he. You know, that, that, that counter them. You have the U.S. agent who is the counter to like the Sam Wilson and the Captain America. You have White Widow who is the counter to a Black Widow. And they're called the Thunderbolts because they are named after General Thunderbolt Ross. So there you go. It's all right there. So you have this initiative now that I think could make a lot of sense and a lot of things could work because if you have the reflection of phase one into phase four is that phase one was the formation of the Avengers. This is the formation of a team who's being built to specifically take down the Avengers. Um, Mm. So I think that's really interesting and that's really cool. And so that's like why I like that post credit scene. Also, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, go take out Hawkeye, that guy. So like, you know, yeah, finally, she's doing the thing that nobody could. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I want to speak about the Hawkeye things later, because again, I think this is going to lead into a lot for a, Disney Plus series that might be coming several months down the line. So I will admit, you know, I think you and I were both fans of uh, Valentina Contessa, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Dragonborn, first of her name, her introduction (laughs) in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I will say if this was my introduction to her, I don't think I would like the character as much, simply because I think the post credits scene to me felt too tonal whiplashy, where you have, like, again, this very solemn very stark for lack of a better term image of yelena crying at the gravesite of her sister after we saw this entire movie of you know the two of them reconciling coming back together and then having to depart and that's the last time yelena probably sees her sister and then it's cut off by julia louis dreyfus blowing her nose obnoxiously like that felt i think a little carny cartoony to me i think that is like the criticism that some people were having for Val back in Falcon and the Winter Soldier that I didn't have. So that to me, I think pulled me out of it too much. I was fine with actually her for like the rest of the scene with the smarminess she had. But I just think that, I don't know, it's one choice, but I think that sneeze was just a little too OTT to pull me out of that really, I think, very emotional moment. But the big takeaway from that post credit scene is that it had been teased before Black Widow came out that Yelena was going to appear in some variety in the upcoming series Hawkeye. Now, again, we didn't know to what extent that was. It appears that no matter what the extent is, she has a very clear mission. Her target is Clint Barton at this moment. Kevin, I want to hear your thoughts. What implications does this have for the Hawkeye series? What does this have for Yelena? What does this have for Clint in general? What what do you think this is going to say for when we talk about Hawkeye like five months from now. I mean, one, this this gives us a very clear, like this is what Hawkeye is about, I think, uh, which is which is great. We have an idea. Um, I think it makes total sense that this is what the deal is for for Yelena to like want to go after Hawkeye. Like, yeah, that tracks for me. Um, so like to me, it makes, you know, the Hawkeye series I think was already kind of interesting because you have like, you know, Haley Seinfeld who's gonna be in it as like, you know, uh, Kate Bishop, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and like that already, like feeling closer to like the Hawkeye miniseries, uh, by fraction, there's a lot there that I think works. Yeah. Complete with like the, uh, so I recently read that and I was, that might be one of my favorite comic series I've ever read, but I didn't even, 
but I didn't even notice that the um yeah exactly Hawkeye that's that's your name right but I didn't even notice that the font for the series mimics is that the, yeah. the font for that the curviness and all so I think that really calls to like the specifically the Kate Bishop we're gonna get right like yeah. whether she hightails it out of there uh you know with a one eyed dog halfway through the series we'll see but still it makes me very excited it's a dog. Um, it'd be really cool if, uh, you had these moments because it also now does, does Clint know about Yelena? Did Natasha ever tell him about this? So you have this situation mm. where these two were the closest, you know, it was supposed to be super close in the, in the Marvel universe. You have Natasha dying for him, basically, according to Endgame, uh, which again, you could have fixed by doing something different. But, um, you, so you have this thing where all of a sudden, if a sister shows up, you know, if a different widow shows up, like, how is that going to affect you know, their past relationship and like what it meant and like how she kept this, uh, for, from him. So I think there's a lot there that could, for the emotionalness of it all makes me definitely interested in the Hawkeye series. I was already pretty interested in it, but definitely gives me a clear direction, I think, of where it's headed. And I like yeah. it. Um, so like that's really cool. And I guess, I mean, okay, sure. The, the nose blowing was a bit over the top. I'll give you that. But like, I don't know. I was okay. It's a post credit scene, man. Is it more over top than like just Samuel Jackson, like walking out of the shadows and saying it's just Avengers initiative? I mean, probably yes, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause I, I, it would have been if Samuel Jackson walks out of the shadows and like slips on a banana peel before saying, I want to start the event. Maybe it's on line with that. It makes me so excited for Hawkeye because I think. Now the fan fiction I'm drawing in my head is that we talked about how close Clint and Nat were. This could be a way to get the new version of Hawkeye and the new version of Black Widow into like a very tight friendship as well, which is very fun, right? Because I'm assuming when Yelena enters the scene, it's going to only be a short amount of time before she's like, yes, you're right. You did not kill my sister. Okay, I'm going to be friends with you now. Uh, I think if there's if the entire onus of the show is like now Yelena is pursuing the Clint Barton, I think that she's a little too reasonable for that, especially if she understands the circumstances. So if it involves Yelena getting closer to them and Yelena, especially like forming a bond with Kate Bishop, maybe getting a young Avengers, a thing going perhaps, or maybe some version of the Thunderbolts. That's a really fun idea, especially with this idea of maybe a next generation, you know, when we were introducing Billy and Tommy, when we're introducing Isaiah Bradley, hell, we introduced Kang the Conqueror and there is a version of Kang the Conqueror who is Iron Lad, right? Yes. A version of the Young Avengers. There could be a version where they do the Young Avengers. They bring in this random kid like, I'm Iron Lad. And it turns out like he's Kid Kang variant. Uh, I mean, that's that's definitely possible. I'm still on the train. If they're going to do Iron Lad, it's going to be Iron Man 3 kid. But uh, hmm. that's that's just my guess. I, I don't know if they're going to bring in Kang as like his younger self quite yet. That's that's a little bit. That might be too much for, for, for audiences. But... Yeah, I did so like that in the comics. Yeah, so it's a lot of really exciting things. And so I think it's also a fun, you know, if we're, we were just talking about a TV series that tied into a big movie, now we have a big movie tying into a TV series. So I think, again, the streams are crossing, right? Things are branching out. And I think we're beginning to finally begin to see that the scope of the MCU is beginning to really meld the TV and movie stuff together as different beasts as they may be. Uh, Kevin, any other thoughts you want to give at the moment about Black Widow? We'll reserve all the feedback, including Infinity Stone rankings, until uh, next week. Was there anything else you wanted to, to get off your chest while we're talking here days after you saw it? Uh, me, no, but my fiance, Robin, yes. So, okay, uh, yes, it is a Black this. Widow movie. So, therefore, we will have a quick conversation here about Black Widow's hair. Um, so, 
I don't think we talked about this during Endgame, but Robin's big problem during Endgame was 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 she had a lot of problems with Black Widow's hair because Black Widow's hair implied, you know, she's blonde in Infinity War, and the way Endgame had it is that you had this like bright red hair that was coming out. Except it didn't make any sense in how it was styled in Endgame because it wasn't like if you're going to have your hair grow out like that, it would just because the blonde would go, but the rest of the red would come in on the same level. So the fact that she had like more streaks and highlights, especially like the bright red color implying like the bright red is Natasha's normal hair. It's roots, yeah. Right. That would not be like the the, the hair wouldn't grow in pieces like that. One. (laughs) Two. Uh, the implication is Natasha's also then dying and highlighting her hair <laughs> during Endgame, which seems vastly out of character. And then when she braids it, it also doesn't line up. Pro- like, it's just this whole thing where it's just like, that's not, that's not the hair you're trying to tell us is real. So that was, that was an issue with Endgame. Now, of course, this takes place before Endgame. Mm. Um, the big issue here is, uh, is not so much an issue, but she pointed out that, um, there was a lot of braids in this movie. Um, Natasha had the braid in the back. There was a lot of little braids. Of course, Florence Pugh had a very midsummer style going. And the <laughs> thing was, is that braids are very much in now. They were not in like that in 2016. So a lot oh, of the hairstyle choices, uh, are, you know, trying to say that it was, uh, 2016, but it is very present day in hairstyle, hairstyle choices. Cause you know, that I, I braid thought I saw something in. when they, when they tried to do a TikTok, when they were descending from the, uh, the red room in the sky, I thought for a <laughs> second, like, is that anachronistic? I wasn't sure, but I think you're, you're really onto something. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was uh, Elena showing her the latest dance on there, right? That's how that's yeah, uh, exactly. That's like, on. oh, yeah. you don't know. This is how you dab. Yeah, <laughs> dab. That's, that's even way before twenty sixteen to this point. Now, <laughs> it's, it's timeless. It's timeless. That's a good point, though. That uh, you know, I think this is like taken from a twenty twenty lens, but uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's not exactly evoking that. Tr- it's not exactly out of time that that the movie maybe tries to be. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the last thoughts there on that. I just thought I'd share because, of course, I know some some listeners really <laughs> enjoy knowing Robin's Black Widow here uh, opinion. So there it is for this one. Count me as one of them. I get you know, listen, it happens. It changes every movie. So like, we have to have definitive thoughts on it. And I'm personally am happy to have it. Of course, many many more thoughts. We have just gotten to the root of everything Black hey. Widow. But uh, you and Josh are going to be talking about Black Widow next week. That's when you're going to give your Infinity Stone rating. If you have seen Black Widow, I hope you have at this point because you just listened to 30 plus minutes of spoiler talk about it from very first uh, shot to very last shot. Be sure to send in your Infinity Stone rankings again, one, two, six. I know it's been a hot second since this has happened on Everything is Super to super at postshowrecaps.com. Kevin, I don't believe you're doing any other ratings, right? Like you're not doing the villain rating or the post credits rating or anything no, like that. Um, no, we're, we're not. We definitely want to get people's Infinity Stone rankings in. Josh and I are discussing, I think, what we're going to do about Infinity Stone rankings. Mm-hmm. Is it too soon? Do we need to be removed a little bit more? Because like we were rewatching the originals. So there's discussions to be had there, but we want to hear what everyone else thinks, uh, just to at least get a bit of an opinion in. Absolutely. And next up as well, after that, uh, you guys are going to announce, I believe, what's coming next. Because what if in the time since we last convened in the past week is officially has a not only a trailer, which is hella awesome, but also a premiere date, August 11th, less than a month until more MCU content. Really, like they turned on the faucet and it's going to be nonstop for the next like nine months or so and so you guys are going to be back with that i think those are 10 weekly episodes that is we talked about yeah we talked about this before i'm incredibly excited for this it's going to be a bunch of like 
just nonsensical hypothetical fun. I'm excited to turn my brain off and just watch some cool animated MCU stuff happen, mostly involving the uh, the original actors as well. And Jeffrey Wright's in it. And Jeffrey Wright's incredible. Uh, yep. So um, check it out. Check out the podcast they're doing. I would also imagine they're going to be doing some stuff in the few weeks in between as well. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a break period, and uh, Josh and I are discussing exactly what we're going to do. We have some ideas. We're excited to announce that at some point. Uh, but August 11th, I believe, is the kickoff to What If. And so, yeah, we'll definitely be back covering that. And I'm really pumped about that. Um, but stay tuned for what we're going to do in the intervening time period. Ooh, uh, yes. Um, but but we, you still have one more opportunity to bid adieu to Loki and Black Widow before they go off with all the other... A low-key goodbye, if you will. Exactly. A low-key goodbye for a very high-key movie and high-key TV series again. So, again, super at PoshaRecaps.com or Josh at PoshaRecaps.com or Kevin at PoshaRecaps.com. Get in your overall thoughts about the both the Black Widow movie as well as overall the Loki series, your takeaways looking back on all six episodes, maybe thoughts about season two as well, uh, since that's confirmed, or even Hawkeye, to basically anything under the sun. I think both these movies set up a lot of interesting for lack of a better term, what ifs when it comes to the MCU. And it's been incredibly, it's been a really great week to be an MCU fan. I just think it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. That's why we've been talking for nearly two hours about two very different yet very fun products. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for, for having me on again. I'm sorry that Josh is in abstention right now, pushed through a time door. I know. I just who, had to, who knows like, where, you know, give him a kiss and then throw him through the door and be like, sorry, Josh, this is one's on me. <laughs> Well, he'll be back for seconds and many more uh, next week when he comes back for vacation. But in the meantime, Kevin, what do you have going on in the post-show recaps atmosphere? Well, 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 Mike, uh, I do have uh, one big thing going on. Um, Along with uh, my co-host, Melissa Woodward, we are hosting a podcast uh, called Why A, which is about young adult fiction um, in movies, uh, you know, that have been adapted from books. And like, this is brand new. This is for the patrons of Post Show Recap. So if you want to check it out, you can go to patreon.com slash postshowrecaps at the $5 level and get access to this amazing, fun podcast. And I will warn you, though, just in case, you know, uh, we are covering the Twilight Saga first and foremost. The first episode where we talk about the podcast, where we talk about the general stuff about Twilight is available for everyone. So if you want to check that out, I encourage you can do that. And if you want to hear more of us actually getting into the movies themselves, uh, sign up for the Patreon at that $5 level uh, and you can get access. We have done the first movie, we've done New Moon, and we will be doing uh, Twilight Eclipse, the third movie in the Twilight Saga, uh, very shortly. It's been quite a ride uh, and we're having a lot of fun uh, talking about this franchise. Are you doing Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2 separately or all together? Of course we're doing it separately. Are you kidding me? Breaking Dawn Part 2 deserves probably another we should breaking down part two into two podcasts because it's so amazing and so wonderful (laughs) yeah people have not seen breaking down part two it contains like the one of the oddest twists i think i have ever i don't want to say it because like people are gonna uh, hoping people listen and we got a few people actually who are watching twilight for the first time because of this podcast which i am so sorry but at the same time (laughs) amazing uh, so that's been, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I can't believe my podcast got people to watch Twilight. Great. <laughs> uh, and so you can always check out the stuff that I'm doing as well here on Poster Recaps. Of course, Josh and I are going down the hatch. Before he went on vacation, I was able to 
grab Josh to record, uh, uh, keep our weekly streak going by covering He's Our You, uh, the Saeed episode that he and I both loved. Uh, really, really great talk about all things Saeed and Truth Serum to talk about another uh, MCU thing from a different movie. So be sure to check that out. Also on the Bloom Files, which is a podcast that my wife Angela and I do. We just finished season five of The X-Files. That's coming this weekend. We're about to watch the first film of The X-Files, X-Files Fight the Future. I've been really loving it so far. Season five has been my favorite season so far. I have no idea where we're going with a movie of it all, let alone another one coming up. But I'll be I'm excited Wait, to you, see what happens. Have you have you, have you not seen this the Xbox movie? Th- this is the entire onus of the podcast, Kevin, is I've never seen the Xbox. You before. know my situation when it comes to the other podcast. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, so I've never seen the X-Files before. I've been watching it all for the first time with my wife. We've been watching select episodes, and now we get to watch the first theatrical That's outing awesome. of Mulder and Scully. It. So I'll be really intrigued to see where this all goes, especially how they ended season five. So be sure to check that out, as well as if you're into the reality TV stuff. I'm doing Survivor South Africa. I'm doing Big Brother. I'm doing Australian Survivor. You can check all that out on my Twitter at a Mike Bloom type, as well as these guys at Kev Mahadeo, at Round Howard in Abstentia, and of course at Post Show Recaps. Before we wrap things up, let me give one more quick shout out to our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do, and I bet it can be hard work. You know, it's easily bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And now I'll blow my nose to officially make it a post-credit scene. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. This was a really great time. Again, what a great seven days to be an MCU fan. Kevin, Thank you for coming on and, you know, allowing us to ramble together about how much fun this has been. Really looking forward to you and Josh getting together next week to give more thoughts about Loki and Black Widow, as well as what's to come with Everything is Super, both What If and the What If that is to come in the few weeks in between. Thank you all so much again for listening. Everything is Super will be back next week. Send in your feedback and Infinity Stone ratings if you have them. But otherwise, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Dos vedanya. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.